Welcome to the Gladcast Basketball Podcast. What you're about to listen to is part one of three of an interview we did with the Caledonia Gladiators owner, Steve Timoney. So yeah, check it out. This is part one and hopefully you enjoy. Welcome to the first live recorded face-to-face Gladcast podcast. Uh, so what better way for the first person to be recording with is the new owners of the Caledonia Gladiators, Steve Timoney. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Grant. Thanks very much for inviting me. And face-to-face is the way to go, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. So <laughs> it's normally at this time I ask players uh, how are they enjoying the season so far, uh, enjoying their time with the Gladiators. So yeah, how have you found this season so far? It's interesting, I mean, I come into this first of all as a business to try to put a strategy and a programme in place to turn it into what I want to turn it into, but nobody told me when I came here that we were going to get beat occasionally. <laughs> and so how am I enjoying the season? I absolutely love it, I'm thrilled to bits when we win, I'm devastated when we lose, and I'm trying to understand that in this business that you lose now and again and I have to learn to cope with that. It's so when you're on game day you see yourself, every game I've seen you at, Steve, You've either now got a gladiator's hat or the gladiator's scarf. You're becoming that proper fan. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that. Alison dresses me up, to be honest. I mean, most <laughs> of my Christmas presents were was merchandise. But uh, Did you get the foam gladiator's hat? Uh, yeah, I've not, I've not had the bottle to wear it yet, I have to say. <laughs> but it's interesting you say a fan because I have actually become a super fan uh, just by virtue of the fact that I'm at every game and I'm watching it because... We've been involved in, in basketball for 17 years with the women's side and we were always fans, we always went, went to watch the games and gave them everything they wanted just in terms of our support for the game. But when we see them playing at professional level, at Lagoon and Paisley as it is just now in the Emirates, it's it's just the most exciting sport I've ever watched. You know, we had a guest a couple of weeks ago uh, on uh, for the first time seeing basketball and the first thing he said, I says, what do you think? And they said, well... I can't believe with nine seconds on the clock and seven points difference that your team thinks are going to lose. And the, the, I think it was Newcastle where yeah. Newcastle think they can still win. Uh, and for that point of view, it goes down to four seconds. Everybody's still playing as if they could win or lose. It's the most exciting thing possible. And of course, that's in the background. It's an indoor sport. There's lots of families there. It's a safe sport. It's just a tremendously powerful thing, basketball. So I'm a fan. I do come along, I used to come along with my suit on, now I've got the scarf and the hat and uh, I'll have the foam finger soon enough once I, once I develop a back bottle to put the foam finger and the foam hat on I think. So now we, I, I mostly bring my wee girl to games, she's been coming to with me for, for, she's five so she's been coming since she was able to basically walk um, and she's loving everything about it from the addition to this season of like the face painter. Yeah. Like that goes a long yeah. way for her. Like, oh yes, I can get my face painted. So last time she was sitting there, singing along, watching the mascot, the dancers, the basketball, with a wee Gladiators logo on it. So just you know what, I'm, I'm interested in all that kind of stuff because I'm interested in what, I mean, our job is to take, our, our fan base is largely a casual fan base, so they'll come to some games and won't come to others. Our job is to turn them into a fanatical fan base and I'm interested in all the different elements, right mm-hmm. down to face painting, you know, the pipes and drums you've seen there now, the whole Scottish branding thing. What turns them into a fanatical fan base so that we can build that big season ticket holding? And that includes thinking of everything we need to do to get the kids invigorated. Because often I've seen the kids are fanatical and they bring their parents along with them. It's not the other way about. Yeah, you know? probably I'm the only one that does it the other way. No, yeah. there's a, no, there is. It's the kids are dragging their parents along. Yeah, there's still what, I, what I'm liking seeing when I come to games is the amount of old faces from years gone by that are still coming to games. Um, who still travel to the away, away games like I went to the Newcastle game between Christmas and New Year for example and I knew a lot of the travelling fans as well so there is quite a nice and it probably is still a small kind of 
fanatic fan base and such that get involved in everything but you can see it growing especially like the the London game where there was basically a full house in there and it was a brilliant atmosphere and okay yeah. it wasn't the best on court Result it wasn't the best on court. I mean, we got a lessening, a lessening the difference between where we are now and where London are. I don't think we particularly played our best game. No. The gap should have been smaller. Uh, I came away excited with the London game. I, I kind of disappointed we get beat because I've told you I can't handle defeat and uh, I thought we were going to beat the London Lions. How, how naive. But uh, when I spoke to the London Lions team, Sam Deck and company afterwards, they're, they're such ambassadors for the game. And so respectful of the fact they've came up here and, and you know, I think it beat us with 24 points or something like that. Uh, but it excites us because we come back into the back room and talk about how we have to bridge that gap. Because we do have ambitions to beat London Lions on a regular basis and to be the best team in the BBL, not second best to anyone. So I'm interested in seeing what the gap is. And because I love what London Lions are doing, setting the bar, you know, bringing the big players in, getting rid of the salary cap. They're setting a standard in socials, they're setting a standard in the quality of the, the backroom staff, and I'm inspired by that. You know, We look at it and think, okay, we need better people in this position, we need better people in this position, our socials need to be up there. And I think if everybody recognises that London Lions are setting the bar and we need to all improve our game right across the board, there's no question that British basketball, women's and men's, is going to be stunning. You know, it's going to be a stunning thing to watch and a stun- stunning thing to become fanatical about, which is what we are trying to do. So. How are you getting to grips uh, with the kind of crazy world of professional basketball, and how does it compare to like all the other, the other the rest of the business world for you? It's interesting when I, when I came in and I spoke to Sean just after we acquired the uh, Glasgow Rocks at the time. I says to Sean, you know, I've spent most of my business life getting rid of people with big egos because because I have this firmly held belief that if egos are, plays a big part in your mentality and your business, in fact, it's a destructive force. I don't believe egos are positive force at all. That's why women are very good at business because they don't really have big egos, but men are, are usually full of ego. And I says to Sean, I don't know how I'm going to handle the big egos. And he says, it's even worse. He says, you've got six foot ten people with big <laughs> egos. And that there's two things that are different about business. One is you are dealing with people where you've got to be conscious that, that some people have got bigger egos than others. Some feel that they should be treated like superstars where others are quite grounded and you've got to manage that balance because it's a team sport at the end of the day. But the, the key difference, I think, is interesting, is as well as dealing with all these kind of players who are celebrities in their own right, that uh, I've never had a business where at various points, which is match day throughout your business career, your heart's beating out your chest and your adrenaline's pumping, because you never get that in business. So the new aspect for me, I guess, touches on the fan thing, is that not only you're running a business, but your, your business is something you're becoming very passionate about as a fan. And it's a very enjoyable element of it. It really inspires you. Whether you get beat or whether you win, if you win, it's tremendously inspiring. If you get beat, it's tremendously inspiring just to inspire action to improve. And how are you getting to grips with the rules and BBL referees? The rule, rules-wise, it's taken a long time to understand it. Was when you, I've t- found when you watch it uh, day in and day out, I mean, I know things like goaltend. Now, what's a goaltend? <laughs> I, I didn't even know the word existed. Uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty much getting to grip with the rules. Referees... Let me tell you something. I have to. I, I now and again have to speak to my own clan, not to give the referees a hard time, because I think there's a couple of things referees. There's there's definitely an issue about the quality of refereeing, but I think it's one of the hardest sports I've ever seen to referee yeah. because it's simple. We touch of the wrist. It's super fast. Yeah. It, most of the calls in football would be, you know, clear with the odd one fifty fifty. Most of the calls in basketball are potentially fifty fifty with the odd one being clear, and so I feel for the referees, but. Our, our attitude to referees is let's build a healthy respect for referees. 
let's make them feel valued, let's let's look after them when they come into our facility, give them proper dressing rooms, a bite to eat, so on and so forth. Let's treat them with respect and help them. And so one of the things that coaches do is they do a red refereeing video and send it off to the referee, the referee every game, not to complain, but to help improve the standards. Because yeah. you'll recognise we went down to Manchester, the refereeing was abysmal. And the goal 10 thing at the end, which is why I know about that, we should have won that game. When the referee, when re- poor refereeing has an impact on the outcome of the game, I think that concerns me. If it's poor refereeing and it's much the same for both sides, then you just got on with it and you suck it up. But I think we have to feed back to referees and, and suggest that they have to be held more accountable. But we have to help in that process. So you can't ball and shout at a referee. You've got to understand it's a difficult process. You've got to understand there's not much money in it and there's a few referees for a lot of games. And I think one of the key things we are doing, Lisa's leading the the charge on it is to bring the head referee in and say, okay, how can we improve the landscape for you? How can we help you be a better referee? And how can we give you feedback that's not seen as critical, but it's seen as helpful? Uh, and I think what will happen is just with the exposure the BBL and the WBBL is getting the referees will come up the curve. But it's trying to get youngsters into the refereeing games a big issue. And so part of our academy we're building will have a refereeing aspect to it, is to bring young people through and help them access a kind of refereeing ladder yeah. and so on and so forth. So I don't hate the referees the way I used to do in football. <laughs> uh, I feel for them sometimes and I want to help them be better. But uh, the interesting thing is when you've had a good game, you feel elated. And when you have a bad game because of refereeing, I mean, you don't. And I think that affects fans. So if it's a poor refereeing performance, the issue for the BBL and the WBBL is it, it, it puts fans off. Yeah, it can impact the product, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Especially now with the level of player increasing. A lot yeah. of players staying around, it feels more for another season or two rather than just the eight months and out they go. Yeah. Um, I think but the referees, I, maybe they, they just... from. And, and I don't want this to just come about referees because I've got a million other things to ask yeah. you but it's amazing seeing that well what can we do to help increase or improve that level of officiating is it what is it what kind of you don't know what kind of CPDs out there for them what well, kind of development options we're all in this together aren't we yeah. to be, refereeing is a they're key part of the product it's, they're a massive it's part as of much a part of the product as our players mm-hmm. and our coaching staff and everybody else but it's such a I mean you, you bring people that London Lions are bringing in they're far faster than anybody we've seen in the BBL which makes our refereeing decisions yeah. far more difficult I do wish sometimes they were a bit uh, you know, I always say take the whistle out of your mouth because they seem to blow the whistle because they're breathing rather than <laughs> sometimes and I like same when I, I used to support football as you like continuity you don't like the play to be stopped every two minutes because of a simple wee foul that could have actually could have been ignored some of the I'm, I'm more I get more annoyed with the, the refereeing decisions that don't seem to make any sense, good or bad. Why did you stop play there? Because there was nothing really in that. Yeah. Let play go and let think it more exciting. Yeah. I, I always remember a friend telling me that uh, basketball is described as a uh, non-contact sport, but really it's a non-collision sport. Like Fair enough, you run through someone, but there's should yeah. be allowed a wee bit. We had a debate about this the other day because it is technically called a non-contact sport. I, I think that's one of the most powerful things for bringing youngsters into the game. When you look at what's happened to the sad uh, situation with Doddy Weir and head injuries in general in mm. rugby, parents are generally worried about yeah. getting their kids into rugby and football to a lesser degree. One of the big selling points we've got for basketball is as a team sport. It's inside, you don't need to stand in the freezing cold and watch your kid. And technically it's non-contact. I think a more accurate one would be non-collision. Mm. And in fact, if we can bring that in as a philosophy, you'd probably get less refereeing fouls because you're allowed to be in contact with yeah. your rival player. But it, man, collision sounds like a better a standard. Yeah. To That's actually really interesting. Obviously, what you're saying about like parents concerned and uh, about like concussions. Like one of my best pals, he's a 
he played up to kind of under 18 level for Scotland and he went through a bad stage of injuries but in recent time still playing one of the top kind of national leagues of rugby in Scotland he struggles with concussion every now if he's, he's had a he, had, he missed six months of a season due to concussion and he, he's yeah. actually when he comes into same kind of size as me six foot two kind of size big guy but actually are you six foot two? I'm glad you're. I'm six foot three. Right, six foot I claim three. I'm glad you're depends with my heels on. Depends if I've got my big shoes yeah. on. Six two and a half. No. I mean, uh, see, see the whole the whole thing. There's a phrase we use in here called a power of basketball, and one of the key aspects of the power of basketball is that when you're talking to parents mm-hmm. in schools who want their kids to be sporty mm-hmm. and really want their kids to be in a team sport, uh, because team sport brings them on as individuals in a number of different ways. Uh, parents now are worried about you know, contact and potential head injuries and as a parent you must be worried about getting your kid involved in local rugby, for example. Mm. My boy was involved, involved in rugby and you always you were always waiting for that day when we were going to get badly injured. Basketball isn't like that. You've got all the beautiful things about a team sport, about an indoor sport, but the risk of serious head injury, for example, is very, very remote. And I think that's one of the most attractive things to get youngsters into basketball. Notwithstanding the fact it's a very, very cheap and easy sport to access. You know, you need a hoop and a ball to, to get your juices flowing. Yeah, definitely. So, speaking, right? so my next question on that is kind of similar to what we touched on about uh, businesses, but what kind of what does Steve bring to the sport, or bring to the sport and <coughs> to the gladiators? I think I don't know if I bring anything to the sport as such, but uh, what I bring to the gladiators and the BBL and the WBBL, I think, is I'm not a basketballer trying to be a businessman. I'm a businessman trying to be a basketballer, if you like. And so my, uh, I've had a very successful business career. Al and I have both had a very successful business career. And so we understand business. We understand business at a very high level. I mean, SMS is a multi-billion pound company. So it's not a small company we built there. And you develop skills over the years that, that cross various boundaries, you know, from everything from managing your staff to creating big deals to delivering on all your visions, etc that give you a great business background. So I feel as if the business side of the gladiators, the business side of the BBL is relatively straightforward for me. I understand it. I kind of know what to do. I kind of know how to activate and motivate my team. I kind of know how to direct them and steer them. Uh, What I don't really understand, uh, or I'm starting to understand a lot more now, is what's the context of my business skills in a sporting environment. And so I've got to be very careful I don't start coaching the team because (laughs) as a business person, you're first and foremost a coach. You know, you coach everybody every day. And I find myself sometimes listening to Gareth talking to the team, thinking I'll just jump in there, and then you're thinking, no, I'm not the coach. <laughs> I, might, I might send them down the wrong road. But I, <clears throat> I think the, the obvious things are, I suppose our business background is there's no glass ceiling in our ambitions, and, and so SMS is one of the most successful mm-hmm. businesses in Scotland as a result. And, and I truly believe, I think me and Ali both believe when we come into this, that uh, the Gladiators could be one of the, the best, if not the best, basketball club in Europe, I mean that's that's essentially what we're saying. Let's start out to do now. What does that mean? Because anybody can say that, you know. People, business people, and me come in and say that, and you think, well, okay, it's just hot air, you know. Anybody yeah. can say that. What it means is you've got to go behind the scenes and set the standard for every single thing you do with a view on where you want to get to. And so that means that when we talked <coughs> just off off uh, the podcast about the player environment. You know, we come in and look at it and say, well, that might be good for basketball, but that's not good for where we want to get to. So we're going to change the contracts, we're going to change change the accommodation, we're going to change the environment the players come into, uh, because where we want to get to means that players, the best players, have to come here and make it their home, not come here for three or four months and score lots of baskets. They come here and make it their home and make it their career. And I think that's what we bring to it. Long-term thinking, 
very ambitious plans. The arena we're building here uh, will be one of the best, one of the finest arenas, one of the finest basketball facilities actually in Europe, not just because of the arena, but because the basketball training facility is going to be one of the best you've ever seen. Uh, and at this side play sport, we've got a lot we can do about integrating people from other sports. You know, there's a, there's a belief that you shouldn't specialise kids too early. And lots of the best players didn't start basketball to 14 and 16. And we have an opportunity to get them to play golf, get them to play football and various other things here. That, the that's on that one, that's one of the kind of, when I talk to the guys recording with them, it's always, I always ask them, like, what sports did you grow up playing? And that's whether it's like Kyle or uh, saying played football, coming from Edinburgh, is kind of obvious to the American guys or guys coming from Canada or wherever it's they'll play a bit of American football baseball it's such a rounded kind well, of sphere well, that they all play because if you're not if you're not in sport you think oh we need to get them playing basketball for two years old but I was listening to Jeremiah when he was on your Gladcast last week and Jeremiah said they played yeah, all sorts of sports and yeah. he stopped he stopped playing for a while and then he just dedicated himself yeah. to basketball and started practising I, th- I think that the science behind it is that you know a variety of sports teaches you your hand-eye coordination mm. and your athleticism and then when you specialise, you've got rounded skills as opposed to being only only been able to function in a basketball court and been rubbish at football, for example. Uh, and I think that philosophy is something we can build here. I mean, we intend to run summer camps and academies here across a number of different sports involving a lot of our other tenants who are ambitious to get this place really uh, firing on all cylinders from a sporting point of view. But it allows us to bring kids in from other sports and then let them see basketball, let them taste basketball. Uh, and let their parents see the advantages of basketball as this indoor safe family kind of sport that's as you say non-collision rather than non-contact and it's a very compelling offering for a parent that wants their kids to, to take up a sporting endeavour you know absolutely so one question that you kind of began touching on it obviously you kind of the length of time you've been involved with obviously before the Lady Rocks and on the girls side uh, but what's probably been kind of a mental 12 months from attaining like the pro licence for the WBBL to then obviously perching over the rocks. Uh, what interested you in leading that kind of new direction and after that kind of or long-term relationship uh, and kind of pushing the kind of next level of professional women's basketball? <coughs> there's no doubt, there's no doubt that, uh, I mean, this we're here because of the women's basketball and because I rather foolishly, you could argue, stood up at an award ceremony for the Lady Rocks and said, their tagline was our team is everything and it still is to this day but I said what if our dream was everything our dream is everything was your tagline this year how would you dream what would you want this club to become because we'd been by that time about 13-14 years mm. uh, sponsors and typical sponsors you get them a minibus you get them strips you're yeah. there to support them whatever way possible and I thought they were going to come back and say yeah we'd quite like to go to Florida and play Orlando Magic's women's team and juniors and we'll have a wee holiday and we'll come back and Instead, they went away and thought about it. I think, pardon me, I think the, the, what got in the way was lockdown, and so they had too much time to think. <laughs> and they came back and said, we'd like to put a professional uh, aspect for the club at the top end of our pathway. Because what the Lady Rocks have done fantastically well was built this huge pathway mm. of all these kids playing in, the, in competitive basketball. But we didn't have a professional side at the top, and putting a professional side at the top means we've got to put an academy in between so that that bridges the gap between club and professional but the, when they come back and says we want to take this professional uh, Ali and I's instinct and I think was a surprise to them was okay we can we can take the license the, the franchise from Basketball Scotland they were keen to move it on but for us that was just the technical side of it the, the emotional side of it was they have to have their own home 
and so the play sport thing's quite interesting because we sat around a dinner table and I, I always operate in business on the basis what's the ideal scenario what's the less than ideal scenario which is we don't want to be there scenario and the ideal scenario was something and I think it was Lisa that said you know play sport would be the greatest place in the world to build an arena and the next scenario is okay we can refurbish a brownfield site an old warehouse or something uh, down around about the Clyde side and the third scenario is that we continue to play in rented accommodation like we do at Lagoon and Emirates and uh, we went away and laughed about it and had a bite to it and me and Alan the next day dispatched Lisa up to play sport to ask to see what the situation <laughs> was and, and the funny story I'll just tell you quickly is we're on the phone to Lisa and she's talking to the sales agent who's still our sales agent here and said uh, she's on the phone saying to me look Steve I've looked at the two big sheds that are empty it's going to cost millions of pounds to build an arena here and they're only offering a 10 year lease it's not going to work I says okay ask them if they'll, they'll sell the two sheds and she says, excuse me, would you sell a two sheds? And they said, nah, we don't think our client would go for that. No, we wouldn't sell a two sheds. No, 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 no. I says, okay, so we can't rent the sheds. We can't buy the sheds. Ask them if they'll sell PlaySport. And Lisa says, what? She says, ask them if they'll sell PlaySport. And, and she said, would you sell PlaySport? And the, the, the chap said, who are you? <laughs> you know, this wee blonde girl comes up, asks to buy PlaySport. You know, tell me who you're talking to on the phone. Because she's saying to them at that time, well, I can't tell you who our investors are. The short short uh, story there was we, we bought PlaySport in record time because it happened to be available mm. and we got very quickly to a point where we thought, okay, that could work. But really, the inspiration for us then was, you know, we've got an ideal site, we could build a super arena, let's now go and see. And, and literally we went to speak to Glasgow Rocks, Duncan Smiley, who's, who's a fine chap, I like Duncan a lot, he's very easy to deal with. And uh, I sat down with Duncan thinking... Right, we own the professional women's side, you own the professional men's side, let's get to know each other. And very quickly it turned to, you know, are you interested in buying the rocks? Because Duncan quite rightly identified that our plans were so ambitious that uh, he had to do the right thing. And I think that credit to him, he did do that. Uh, Duncan's view is, uh, I've got my own ambitions for the club, but really you could take it somewhere special and I'm willing to sell it as, as a result. And it was a very fair negotiation, very straightforward negotiation. But once the rocks came on board and we did the name change, which almost was forced upon us, I know it didn't go down well at the time with fans, but it was forced upon us in the sense that we couldn't really run two brands, and when we weighed it all up we thought the Caledonian Gladiators, which which I think now is proven to be a much more powerful brand, because it positions Scotland as our, mm. as our bit, so to speak, and the Gladiators gives us that feeling that we're going to be this kind of team, this, you know, on my signal, unleash hell kind of team. Uh, and that's really what inspired us, and I think putting the two teams together, the most powerful thing was that from our point of view we weren't going to tick the box of having women in sport alongside men in sport as we said our one club one vision strategy and that was we wouldn't talk about men and women we'll talk about athletes and we'll talk about the club and what we do in here is the female athletes and the male athletes are treated the same in every way as much as they can be i should say and they're given the same opportunity and the same exposure and the ambition for building arena is built on the back of the ambitions for the women's team in europe and the men's team in Europe and not one versus other. So I think we're probably not the first club, not the only club, because it's nice to see Sheffield Sharks and Hearts coming together. It's nice to see what London Lions and Leicester Riders and even yeah. Newcastle Eagles are now selling out arenas. Yeah. I mean, everybody's now realised that the most powerful thing we've got for British basketball is the growth of the women's game. You know, it's, of course it's improving the men's game, but the growth of the women's game is what everybody's watching us, watching to see what we do with, you know. How do you see that? See the landscape of the WBBL, and what challenges does the league kind of face? Like, I think it was the game 
last weekend the best stream was off the guy who does the WPBL review oh God. Yeah. Um, and so that's just almost like the basic level of what I'm asking but that's an example of um, oh. of <coughs> quality or lack of maybe where it stands behind the, the BBL you know what happens when I see a stream like that down at Durham it's so bad I want to people I want to phone people up and say do you realise you're damaging the women's game yeah because it's not just about oh this is all we can afford and this is all we want to do there's, there's a real issue in the WBBL if we focus on that for a minute in the sense that in my view there are teams in there that shouldn't be professional teams they're Bucks teams they, they don't pay their players they don't keep their players there's no long term as about it they're, they're playing in a professional league because they were allowed to at some point in the past and my view is that A you should be associated with a BBL team and B you shouldn't be playing a professional league unless you're a professional team and when I look at that that stream, it's mortifying how bad that stream was. No sound, one camera. Yeah, that almost looked like it was a security camera oh, feed. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a security camera. They probably tapped into their security camera and thought <laughs> we'll use that. But, and, and great for the chap at WBBL Review. He's a, he's a nice lad yeah. and, and he saved a bacon because you're watching your own team want to switch the TV off. Mm. That's pretty bad if you own it. It's even worse for a fan. But he filmed it on his, his phone and it was far superior Court to what side, we had. some sound, yeah, but, he's telling you what the score was. Yeah, it's but good. I think it's, a, I think it's a, an indication of how poor the commitment to the WBBL is. I mean, there, there wasn't a clean court. That's, it's in the rules, it says you have to provide a clean court, so people are quite happily breaking the rules. You know, the, it was a multi-sports court, it wasn't lined out, so it wasn't a clean court in the first place. And I think the interesting thing now is I've seen the WBBL have advertised for a general manager. They've got three new board members. We're pushing to say this needs to be more professional. I think what's very interesting is the 777s and the London Lions and the Leicester and the Newcastle and the Sheffield all know mm. that the success of the BBL is going to be based on bringing the WBBL. And I suppose when you, the list of teams you've just mentioned there are all the kind of now, along with the kind of well, Rocks Gladiators is such a long-standing franchise. Is they're the ones that have been around for a long time and seem to be the ones where okay, we know changes needed. We understand the benefit of having both the men, men's and women's teams playing alongside each other. Like London, quite often have both on the same day. We've done it Double this headers. season. Yeah. Um, it's interesting seeing the two Sheffield clubs almost coming together. Obviously, it's still separate, but under uh, same kind of sponsor agreements and whatever else. So. You see from the kind of wide classes of professional clubs, um, from some couple of big strides forwards, but you're only as good as your weakest part. No, you know, see if you're a business person, it doesn't. It, it's not, you don't have to be a rocket science to work out a rocket scientist to work out that if you leave the women behind, it's absolutely against the trend in mm. sport at the moment. I mean, women's sport and the promotion of women's sport is trending all over the place in every sport, and it would be worse than neglectful of us if we didn't recognise that and run with it and, and use it actually as one of our best assets because you know we talk all the time about the the, the audience we get for women's sports and that's why we talk about one club one vision because we want supporters to support the club whether it's men or women but honestly they come along and see the women and they're staggered they're gobsmacked about how athletic these women yeah. are how good they are at their, their game and then you get a stream like last weekend at Durham where you're saying well something has to be done about that and so my view is quite simple that you have to set a minimum criteria for being a professional club Instinct. and that's going to be hard on some people because mm -hmm. they're going to fall by the wayside but that has to happen if the WBBL is going to succeed the other things that lots of the fans are exposed to and we seldom think about the fans when we do this the fixtures are changing all the time the WBBL because people can't field a team you know they forgot to register their players I mean it's ridiculously amateurish but what they forget is fans have made their travel arrangements 
they're, they're, they're time aside, they've got their babysitters, yeah. they're given set up, and at two hours notice we say we're not going to play the game. This is what Chantel was saying to me when yeah. we recorded her. And, yeah, it's disgraceful. Was, and I suppose, let's touch on Chantel, like she's a fantastic ambassador, she was brilliant to speak to in the podcast and easily could have recorded with her for longer. Like She gave up her time that night to um, record when she had friends playing for London Lions women's teams in Europe, like she would have probably wanted to watch that rather than speak to me, but she spoke to me, so thank you to her. Um, how big a coup was that, getting her to Scotland? Well, you know, at the time, the, the backroom team for the women were throwing names at me, like Miguel Ortega and Chantel Handy, and I had no idea really who they were, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And Because uh, I was very focused on Lady Rocks and all of her pathway, and I, I know all the players here quite well. You know, Erin McGarrigan, who I, I regard as the gladiator, she was the original gladiator, I know very well. But when I realised the impact, really because I listened to the socials about Chantel coming here, I realised, my God, we've got, we've got somebody really amazing here. And as I've got to know Chantel, actually, she's a tremendous ambassador for the club, because she's not just steeped in the basketball, and she's quite a fierce baller. Yes. To be honest, she's, when I see her on the court, she's the one that's going to dig you out of trouble, you know. Mm. But she she leads a team, she inspires a team, she's just a great example of everything. But behind the scenes, she's every bit as good. You know, when she talks on camera for us, I know she's going to say the right thing. I know she's steeped in it. I know she just wants to get the business done, and she's inspired by the vision we've got here, and she's committing to being with us long term. And like I've always said about people you bring on board, you can teach people skills, but you can't teach people attitude. Mm. And Chantel's got the right attitude for this club and the right vision for this club, and uh, she also brings the skills with her. And in the back of that, you know, Miguel came along, and uh, again, Miguel Ortega, who's Miguel Ortega? Not realising he's one of the most successful European coaches, uh, you know, in recent years, winning all the championships he's winning, and he's coming to manage the WBBL, the, the Caledonia Gladiators. And the two of them together are tremendous. I mean, it, it sets, I think, a message out that we intend to be serious here. Uh, we've had difficulties recruiting for the women's team because in the women's landscape, there's just not the same players available. But they're working hard and working through that. And we are wanting to build a team that's the kind of quality that could get into Europe fairly soon. Uh, and I think Chantel believes we can do that. She inspires everybody else to do that. And she's a tremendous leader right across the board. I mean, I'm trying to get into their minds as gladiatorial style where when you put on that jersey, it's not just putting on a jersey, it's a source of pride and you change your game face when your mm-hmm. jersey goes on. You become a gladiator and there's no better example of that than Shan. You know, when she puts her jersey on, she becomes a gladiator and people can see that. Yeah. And you'll see when we bring on the youngsters like Emma and and uh, the young kids that come in out the pathway, they're totally inspired by the by the more senior players in the team. You can see that. It, it's seen, you can see it in their physical. What was also pretty amazing is within, I only recorded with Chantel, um, either, I can't remember, late December, early January, was it's already my second most listened to podcast. Yeah. In that short space I mean, she's, of time. She's and that was strides of how from across the UK she's renowned and people getting to know her as a gladiator and her involvement with GB for so many years as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Lisa sent me some scouting videos of Chantel when she was asking if it, you know, get sort of getting approval to bring her on board. And I said, so she's American? No, no, she's from Newcastle. I says, what? You listen to her yeah, on the camera, yeah, you can't yeah. work out where she comes from. And now we're going to ruin her. Yeah, we're going to ruin her because she's a Geordie <laughs> who speaks like an American who's now exposed to broad Glaswegian. I mean, God knows if anybody will understand her in six months' time, but... Uh, no, it's been truly special to bring her on board and uh, I guess lead the movement rather than just lead the team because she does lead the movement. She leads what we're trying to do here and I think she'll be a figurehead in this organisation for quite some time to come. You know. Thank you for listening to part one of our three-part series with Gladiators owner Steve Timoney. I hope you enjoyed that lesson so far and yeah, join us for episode two in the next few days.